And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I'm at him at the laundry man. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Hello everyone, I'm Carl Amari and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's a horrific tale of Lights Out, starring Mercedes McCambridge from 1943. Then William Bendix stars as Chester A. Riley, airplane riveter and family man on part one of a comedy adventure of the life of Riley from 1951. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Hey, it's time for a mystery on Lights Out. I think you're going to really like this. It was a popular series mostly devoted to horror and the supernatural. It came to radio in 1933. It was created by Willis Cooper, but he left the show, and a new writer, producer, director came in in 1936. His name was Arch Obler, and he took it to new heights. And you're going to hear an Arch Obler Lights Out story for you now. Let's go back to a broadcast date of April 27, 1943. This is called Execution, and it stars Mercedes McCambridge, part one of Lights Out. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out. Everybody. Tonight, the makers of Ironized Yeast bring you a story not of imaginary terrors. No, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's play will thrill and chill you beyond any power of the supernatural, because this story is based on cruel, grim reality. So tonight, we urge you not to avoid this excitement and tension. Rather, we urge you to turn your radios up and listen as you've never did before. Himmler. Heil Hitler. Well, my Führer, I have the report. Now, look here, Herr Hitler. It's no use getting so red in the face. That won't help anything. What happened, happened. And as long as we know why it happened, I'll see to it it won't happen again. So nothing is lost and something is gained. Now, here, I have the report here. It arrived by courier only five minutes ago. I rushed it right up. Didn't even stop to read it myself. Ah, so, I will read. Official report on the Renoir incident as made by Captain Hans Mauchlich to Major Heinrich von Trapowitz, Commanding Officer, 3rd Division Army of Occupation at Headquarters Paris. Heil Hitler. I, Hans Mauchlich, Captain, member of Elite Guard assigned to 3rd Division Army Occupation, being in my right mind and in full realization of the consequences to me, make the following statement. On the day of April 7th, at 2 o'clock in the morning, Sergeant Carl Fischl, while on patrol duty in the town of Renoir, was shot at by unidentified woman and slightly wounded in the left thigh. In accordance with orders... ...radio from Paris headquarters. I at once placed the entire population of Renoir under arrest. 
and in accordance with further orders received, collected 50 female hostages to be hanged in the village square unless the criminal who had shot Sergeant Fischel was turned over to me at once. These French women were placed in the basement of the town hall, and precisely at sundown, having assembled the populace in the public square, I mounted the scaffold platform which had been erected there and spoke to this village of criminals. Attention! Attention! I warn you, no disturbances, or I will give the order to fire. Now, for the last time, who among you is guilty of this crime? Speak! So, very well. The next time, every man and woman in this town will be deported for hard labor in the Reich. This time, we will proceed with the executions. Silence! Sergeant, the first prisoner. At this point in my report, may I explain that the 50 women to be executed had been picked at random by squads sent through the town a few hours before. I personally knew none of them, but I personally counted them as they entered the place of imprisonment, and I personally posted the guard. That I know. The first prisoner, bind her hands up to the platform. Loose around her neck. Oh. Tighten the rope. Place her on the trap door. So, the prisoner will lift her head. Lift your head. Look at me. At this point in the report, may I describe the prisoner. Sex, female. Age, indeterminate. Clothes, indeterminate. She lifted her face as ordered. Then a strange thing happened. She smiled. Yes, smiled. Smile? Why do you smile? Very well, the trap door. Hang her. Herr Captain. Well, her neck is broken. Do not cut her down yet. People of the town of Renoir, the first of your women hangs here. The first evidence that to harm a soldier of the Holy Reich means death. Certain death. Remove the body. Bring out the next prisoner. At this point in my report, may I explain my plan? To hang was not enough. No. These Frenchmen and their women and their children must learn their lesson in a way they would never forget. One by one, the women would be brought out. One by one, they would stand on the platform. One by one, the rope around the neck, the trap door, the body twisting and turning in death. Coming through that door, climbing then to the scaffold, and dying. Fifty of them. And it would take hours... And these Frenchmen and these French women and their children would never forget this lesson. Bring her here over the trap door. Rope around her neck. No, no, do not bind this one. It is better that they out there see her dance at the end of the rope. The other die too quickly. Ready? Yes, Captain. The prisoner will lift her face. Lift your face. <laughs> your face. You are related to the one who just died. Answer me. Very well. People of Renoir, you see before you the second of you who is to die for the crime against the Reich. This one, I can see, is related to the first. A sister, perhaps. It will not save her. The crime must be avenged. <laughs> you laugh. Hang her. Her captain... Her neck is broken. Broken? So small a woman? Why should... Sergeant, they drop too far. 
Shorten the rope. Let them struggle before they die. The next prisoner. At this point in my report, may I state that all day it had been threatening rain. In spite of that fact, I had not felt it good psychology to postpone the executions. At this point, the time was 4.30, and the sky was getting quite dark, but I was determined to complete the executions. By the time the next woman stood on the scaffold, it was very dark. People of Renoir, the third criminal to die for the crime against the Reich. The crime must be avenged. <laughs> you, you laugh too? Why? You're going to die? Why do you laugh? You will know. Hang her. <laughs> At this point in my report, I will state that this woman did not die easily. I could tell that from the faces of the people and the animal cries that came to their lips as they watched this woman of theirs flinging about at the end of the rope. I was quite pleased. Silence, silence! Well, people of Renoir, she thought she would not die. You see, she is dead. There is no escape from the vengeance of the Reich. Bring up the next one. Stop that drum! Yes, people of Renoir, there is no escape from the power of the Third Reich. Today over all Europe, tomorrow over all the world. What power is there to stop us? All right, bring the prisoner up here, quickly. At this point in my report, may I say it was darker than before. The clouds, there was a feeling of an electrical storm in the air. Hurry her up there, hurry her up! Sergeant, turn on the floodlights. Let no one move. Shoot down anyone who tries to leave the square. Do not think the storm will make any difference. Here you are, and here all of you will stay until the last one of your criminals is hanged. All right, all right, soldier. Do not stand there. The noose. Put it around her neck. No! Soldier, are you out of your mind? Why, why do you stand there? What is it? Look at her. Look at her. At this point in my report, I wish to state that I am not sure if I am in my right mind completely now. But at the time I am speaking of, I knew exactly what I was hearing and seeing. Captain, look at her. I tell you, look at her. You? I... Sergeant. Sergeant. Yes, Captain. The bodies, are they down there? Yes, Captain. How many? Answer me, how many? Three. Three? Three. So... You, woman, you think that you'll make jokes with me? You, you are of the same family. Yes, that is it. You are of the same... <laughs> hey, uh... At this point in my report, I will state only that I immediately ordered the next prisoner up to the scaffold. The fifth prisoner. Captain, this one, the same? You crazy fool, how can that be? Here, the searchlight. Here. No. You... You are not... How can that be? <laughs> Sergeant, how many now? The truth. Tell me the truth. Four. Four, Captain. The truth. I order you. Four bodies. I swear it, Captain. And their faces. Look at their faces. Answer me. Their faces. All the same, Captain. The same. 
this point in my report, I say only that it began to rain. A terrible rain. And we stood there in the rain. The people all round the scaffold, my soldiers, and on the platform, the hangman and I, and the woman. <laughs> all the same. You hang for vengeance, don't you, Nazi? One German soldier shot at by a French woman who had the blessed right to kill him. <laughs> and you think you will have the vengeance with 50? <laughs> Laugh. It's always the same. Shall I tell you about vengeance, Captain? You Germans think you know all about it. But let me tell you what the real vengeance is. At this point in my report, I will tell you of my thoughts. These women, same, was not possible. I left the scaffold and went below to where the bodies lay. With my flashlight, I looked. Broken necks. Faces quite the same. Shut off the light, I climbed back to the scaffold. I was not disturbed. Because now I understood. The families of these French were large. And all these were sisters. Five sisters. Yes, trying to frighten me. Well, that was ended with their broken necks. I ordered out the next woman for her execution. People of Renoir, there will be no further demonstrations of any sort. You will stand there in the rain until all your women criminals are dead. Five sisters have died. And I am certain that is the end of that family. And who is this frightened one with her hands in front of her face? All right, keep them there. Corporal, get the new noose around her neck. Hang her quickly. <laughs> what? Her face. Another one. You French such families. Worthy of we Germans. But we have men. You give birth to useless women. Six women. And all of them born to be hanged. <laughs> Shall I tell you about vengeance, Nazi? What? You Germans think you know all about it. But let me tell you of the real vengeance. Captain, the other one said those words. Shut your mouth. You, woman, how do you know the words your sister said? I said them. How could you? You think you know about vengeance, you Germans. Well, you don't. Vengeance, too, has to be based on truth. And what is your vengeance? You began a war once and lost it. To whom did you lose it? To these little people? To that little rabbi whose back you broke in a concentration camp? To that little child who suffocated under her mother's body in Poland? And her. At this point in my report, I state only that I made sure this one hanged until she was dead. And then I waited a little while before I ordered the next one out. The rain was very heavy. All the people stood there in the square below the scaffold, heads bowed to the rain. And in the light of the searchlights, they and the soldiers guarding them were like living dead, standing there unburied. Captain, this one, she's the same. What? Maya, bring her up here. No. You hanged her? She's not dead? Not dead? Who is she? Run for your lives. Run. Run. Bring her up here. She is not the same. She can't be the same one. Turn the searchlights on. The same one? Run! Stand where you are. Then open fire. Shoot them down. Sergeant Cobble, where are you running? Stand, soldiers. Do not run. I order. 
lights. Why did you turn off the searchlights? Turn them on. I order you to turn them on. My soldiers. Gone. Are you frightened, Captain? <gasps> Put the rope around my neck. You're not safe. I saw you hang. Put the noose around my neck. The bodies. I can see them down there. Hang me. You want your vengeance. Fifty times the rope must stretch. Fifty bodies piled like cordwood. <laughs> and you call that vengeance? Shall I tell you a vengeance, Nazi? The vengeance of the people of the murdered republics. What was their crime? They wanted freedom from poverty. And your battleships stood off their shores and your airplanes filled their skies and gave them blood to drink their own. The vengeance of the people of Poland. What was their crime? They wanted to live, just to live. So the treads of your tanks ground them into the dirt and then your bombs lifted them out of the dirt. The vengeance of the people of Belgium whose crime was that they were weary of a battle they did not quite understand because you had given them confusion. And so you stripped them of human dignity and made them slaves to live on bloody knees before the masters of your Reich. The vengeance of Holland. Oh, that will be a horrible vengeance, Nazi. For their crime was the crime of being men, of standing up and saying, This is our land and this is our freedom. Dare take them from us. So you swept over them. And when they could no longer fight, you took your vengeance by the murder of 40,000 of them. And the vengeance of Great Britain. Oh, that will be a terrible vengeance, Nazi. It will be a vengeance that will... Oh. Oh, I will hang you. Rope around your neck. Now talk. At this point in my report, I swear by the grave of my mother I tell the truth. I hanged this woman with my own hands. I made sure that she was dead. And then I reached down and cut the rope. I heard the body fall below in the dark. But when I got up off my knees and stood up on the scaffold again, another woman was there. And it was she. The vengeance of Norway. Theirs, too, was the crime of free men content to live on their own land. And you put a swastika over their crosses and murdered their sons and starved their children. And the vengeance of the Balkans. So many vengeances, Nazi. Did you ever think of them? You with your little vengeances against the helpless, the women, the children. Did you ever think of this moving mountain of great vengeance that is sweeping toward you? The vengeance of the Russians, whose crime was that they wanted their own freedom, their own way. And who saw the hard work of twenty years ground under your pouncers and your stukas. Oh, Nazi, theirs will be a terrible vengeance. Theirs will be... And then there was another one. Another. But the same. And the vengeance of the Americans. Their crime. That they were strong and they didn't like you and they laughed at you. And then their laughter turned to anger, and you were afraid of their anger, so you lifted another one's hand and gave them the treachery of a knife thrust in the back. 
And you drown their men in the seas and you... That's the first portion of Execution on Lights Out, starring Mercedes McCambridge and Hans Conried. We'll get back to it after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now let's get back to Lights Out. I can report only what I saw. The trapdoor fell. She too was gone. The rope twisting and turning. And I was alone on the scaffold. Alone. I was alone. Yes, the rope twisting and turning. And I was alone. And then? Who shall I swear this on? What do I believe in to swear this on? I heard footsteps coming up the steps to the scaffold. And I ran to the edge, and I looked. The lightning flashes were quick, one after the other. And by them I saw that I had hanged eight. And there were forty-two left. And now they were coming up the stairs, these forty-two. One after the other. One after the other, in a line that reached back across the square. Coming to me... Belgium, Holland, Norway, Greece, Yugoslavia, Russia, Britain, America. I tell you, Nazi, no matter what the clever ones try to do at the peace tables, the people will not forget their vengeance. They will not forget their dead children and their dead wives and their dead sons and their dead mothers and their dead sisters and their dead lovers and their dead hopes and their dead wasted years. They will not stop at the borders of your Germany this time. They will march into it. Into your Germany, the people. And their vengeance will be on every one of you who traded the cross for the swastika. And the great God of humanity for the little man who thought he was God. Who are you? I report only this one last thing. As I asked the words, who are you, suddenly it was no longer all these women speaking with one mouth, but in the rain and the lightning, I saw them moving together, and all of them began to become one woman, a terrible thing that grew and grew into the air. I lifted my face to see. The lightning crashed about the top of her, and it was still that woman, towering higher and higher into the air. And when she spoke, her voice was the thunder. Listen to me, Nazi. When their vengeance comes, you shall not hide behind your little man. For his crimes are his crimes, and your crimes are yours. And each must pay for his crimes. 
Who are you? For the good people of this world will not die this time in vain. This time the vengeance will be their vengeance, and the everlasting peace their peace. Who are you? I report, I ask that, and suddenly I was lifted in the air. There was thunder and lightning around me too, and up where I was, her voice was a whisper. I am a French woman who stayed away from my own land too long. So long that some of my countrymen had forgotten that even the memory of me lives only where men fight for me. Who are you? I close my report. This Frenchwoman told me her name, and she told me a place. Through the thunder crash I heard her. And then the lightning struck, and I was falling through the air. And when I awoke, it was morning, and she was not there. And the scaffold was burned to the ground, and there were no bodies, and the village square was empty. This, this is the end, end of my report. <laughs> Can you imagine such a report, mein Führer? A woman who grows into the sky. Now, of course, the man will be shot. Um, wait a minute. There seems to be an addition to the report. Uh, it says, Note, the French woman said she could be found at latitude 41 degrees north and at longitude 74 degrees west. Investigation indicates this is a place in the western hemisphere known as Bedloe's Island. Further investigation indicates that there is only one French woman on this island. She is called... The Statue of Liberty? Friends, the makers of ironized yeast have been very happy to dedicate tonight's program to our government's second war loan drive. Now, Mr. Robler, can you tell us a little about next week's story? Well, before I do that, I'd like to personally thank the ironized yeast folks for giving me the opportunity of presenting this play to you tonight. A word of thanks, too, to Edgar Barrier and Mercedes McCambridge, and to Hans Conrad and Lou Merrill. As to next week, well, if you've ever wished on a star, listen in. For the play has the provocative title of The Heavenly Jeep. To you lovers of the Off the Beat, a cordial invitation to be with us when the Heavenly Jeep takes off. Yes, tune in next Tuesday again for Arch Obler's eerie story, The Heavenly Jeep. <laughs> Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Lights Out from April 27, 1943, with Execution, starring Mercedes McCambridge. And you know what, Lisa? Mercedes McCambridge uh, lent her voice to The Exorcist, the movie The Exorcist, when, Re when Reagan is uh, possessed. Sure. You know that voice, that possessed voice? That's Mercedes McCambridge's voice. 
on that. Very creepy. Very oh, gosh. Creepy. I remember seeing that movie in the theater when I, I was a too. young kid. I was I, probably... I don't know why my mom would let me see this movie at like 12 or 13. I, I was there. Shame I was on you, Mom. probably sitting right next to you. You know? And, and you I, know what? Knowing your mom, she didn't have a choice in Yeah, the I just was like, Mom, I'm going to go see a, a Donald Duck movie. Right. And then uh, he <laughs> Donald Duck. You know, did a did a 180 and then went and saw The Exorcist. But I'll tell you what, that movie kind of creeped me out. To this day, I, I just don't want to see that movie. There's going to be a reboot of it. Coming. Yeah, on yep. television. Yep. Right, right. Okay, it's time now for The Life of Riley. Everybody loves William Bendix as Chester A. Riley. One of the funniest shows in all of uh, the golden age of radio. It was created by Irving Brecker, and it came to radio in 1944, lasted until the 1950s, and of course made a very successful transition to television. For a time, Jackie Gleason played Riley on television, but then William Bendix uh, resumed the role that he had originated on the radio. We have an episode for you now from April 20th, 1951. This is called Riley and the Kiss in the Dark. Here's William Bendix in part one of The Life of Riley. Internationally famous Pabst Blue Ribbon, finest beer served anywhere, proudly presents The Life of Riley, starring William Bendix as Riley. <laughs> Miss Luella Lounsbury is giving a farewell party to celebrate her departure from Los Angeles to her native Georgia for a lengthy visit. The Rileys have been invited, and the house is in a turmoil as a result of frantic last-minute preparations. Peg, ain't you ready yet? Hold your horses! But it's almost nine o'clock. Luella's serving the grub at nine. All right, so we'll be a few minutes late. There won't be nothing left. I haven't eaten all day on purpose. I've been counting on this party. Hurry up, will you? All right, don't get so excited, Daddy. I ain't excited. I just can't stand waiting around like... Peg! I don't know why it takes your mother so long to get dressed. Here I've been standing around all dressed up for the last half hour. Pop, where's your pants? <laughs> huh? Oh, yeah. I better put them on. This party, party's formal. <laughs> Junior, get up off the studio couch. Huh? My pants, they're under the mattress. <laughs> I'm putting a crease in them. Oh, Junior, if we're going to the movies, let's go. The Brave Bulls goes on at 8.50. Oh, okay, Babs. Good night, Pop. Good night, Daddy. Night, Mother. Good night, night kids. Don't be late. <sighs> Aren't you dressed yet? I'm ready. I'm ready as soon as I slip on these pants. There. Well, are you ready? Come on. I'm not going. <laughs> what? You've been primping for the last two hours and now you ain't going? In this dress? How can I go wearing this rag? That rag looks all right to me. Just look at it. It's shrunk so much I can hardly get into it. <laughs> Don't blame the dress. <laughs> there's enough dress there. The trouble is, there's too much you. <laughs> what? So I'm fat, well, am I? I didn't mean that you... You'd better go to this party alone. I'm sure you don't want to be seen in public with a monstrosity like me. I didn't say you're fat. Why do you put words in my mouth? You're not fat. Well... You're just, uh, pleasingly plump. Why, you... Oh! What did I say? Come on, Peg, it's late. I'm not going, after the way you insulted me. What did I say? Well, I don't see why you're so sensitive. Let's face it, you're 20 years older, your, your figure just ain't what it used to be, same as me. Now, now, if you took a little exercise... Exercise? 
I have a husband and a house and two kids to look after. Oh, don't give me that routine, Peg. Other women have houses to look after, and from what I've seen of their figures, they... Oh, so... <laughs> You've been looking at other women, huh? Thinking of making a change? No, no. <laughs> We're just window shopping. <laughs> Let's go, honey. It's late. Luella, Luella, worry. You're more concerned about your precious Luella than you are about me. No, I'm not. Oh, you worry more about her. Why should I worry about her? She's got a perfect figure. <gasps> you! You! What did I say? Oh, I'd have a figure like hers, too, if I spent all my time in, in, in beauty parlors and, and massage salons and, and took that... that Madam Julia's Charm Course. Well, who's stopping you? You want to go to a saloon and get massaged? Go. <laughs> you want to take this charming course with Madam Julia's? Take it. Anything you want to do, that's okay with me. You mean it? Oh, sure. Oh, it's a wonderful course. They make a new woman of you. You really mean it? Well, of course. It costs $20. I like you just the way you are. <laughs> such food? <laughs> Boy, them chocolate eclairs. Hey, hey, watch out. Don't lean against me. Well, what's the matter? I got an eclair in my pocket for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> Gillis, did you see Peg? Yeah, there she is, over there in the corner there. Oh. Hey, Peg, great party, eh? I'm glad you think so. <laughs> oh, now, don't be like that, Peg. Can I get you something? How about a nice chocolate eclair, eh? Aren't you afraid I'll get too fat? <laughs> I'll put it on a piece of rye crisp, eh? <laughs> Oh, you make me sick. What did I say? Come on, let bygones be, go by. Let, let, let's kiss and make up, huh? Come on, nobody's looking. Slip me a kiss, huh? Oh, leave me alone. Oh, now, Peg, wait, wait Peg. What's the matter, Chester, darling? Oh, Luella. What's wrong? Did you and your precious little old Peg have a little old spiet? Nah. <laughs> no, nothing serious, just... Something I said she misunderstood. Oh, you poor, poor misunderstood husband. <laughs> you don't know what we go through. And I suppose it's all her fault. Well, to be perfectly fair, yes. Chester Riley, I just wish you were my husband for one minute and said a thing like that to me. Thunderstorm, and I was going to serve coffee on the patio. Wow, you. Hey, they brought the lights. Uh, fuses must have blown out. Oh, nobody move. Hands off the silverware. <laughs> I'll check the fuses. Anybody got... Hey, hey, who's that? Who, who, stop. They're coming on again. They're okay now. Gillis, quick. What's the matter? Step out here with me, out to the front door. Hurry. Well, what's wrong? Anything on my face? Yeah, you're bleeding. No, no, it's lipstick. Here, my handkerchief. Rub it off. Well, how did you get... Hurry before Peg sees... How did you get lipstick on you? When the lights went out, some dame put her arms around me and kissed me. No kidding, who? I don't know. It was too dark to see. Well, who was standing near to you when the lights went out? Well, let me think. Uh, it was Danny Schwartz. Was, uh... <laughs> no, I mean a dame. Oh. Well, I was talking to... Uh... Oh. <laughs> well, who? Luella. Luella? Who are you lucky dog? 
lucky. Gillis, I'm in trouble. I should have troubles like that. But I'm a married man. What does she want with me? Well, she's making a play for you. You're right, Gillis. I remember just before the lights went out, she said something about wishing I was her husband. And then she kissed me. But why pick on me? I don't know why. Some women got queer tastes. <laughs> I better tell Peg. Don't be a dope. You want to commit suicide? But I'm innocent. You don't know how a woman's mind works. You tell her Luella kissed you, and in two seconds she's got you kissing Luella. Yeah, but Gillis, I... get I... it, will you? Luella's leaving town tomorrow anyway. Yeah, that's right. I, I hope Peg never finds out about this. You know, Gillis, in 19 years we've been married, this is the first time I was ever kissed by another woman. How was it? Great. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm lying. I, I didn't enjoy a single minute of it. Oh, you dog, you! <laughs> Would you drop your father's suit off at the tailor's and have it cleaned, dear? Oh, sure, Mother. Oh, here, here, wait a minute. Let's see if there's anything in the pockets. Mm, there's something in this pocket. Ooh. What is it? A chocolate eclair. Oh. <laughs> Honest, stealing eclairs. Well, there's something in the breast pocket, too. <laughs> Probably a turkey leg. No, it's just a handkerchief. Mother, look. Well, what's the matter? Daddy's handkerchief. Lipstick. Oh, don't get excited. It's my lipstick. <laughs> I kissed him last night. Are you sure, Mother? Of course. But weren't you mad at him? Well, I was. And then he wanted to make up, and I was very mean to him. And then I was sorry. And <laughs> then the lights went out, and, well, I kissed him. <laughs> Are you positive, Mother? If this isn't your lipstick, well, you know what men are like. Why, Babsy, don't be ridiculous. You've been reading too many trashy novels. You ought to know your father by now. All I know is he's a man, and no man can be trusted. <laughs> when they got your father's looks, you can trust him. <laughs> you know, it, it's a funny thing. What? Well, he, he, he never mentioned it. You mean the kiss? Yes, it's very odd. I remember now when I put my arms around him, he said, Who's that? And then, Babs, maybe he thinks it was somebody... Oh, oh no. Not even your father could be that wrong. <laughs> well, I've got to run, Mother. Bye. Hey, who went out? Oh, just Babs. Well, I'm off to work. Oh, wait, Riley. Uh, can you spare a minute? Well, for you, honey, all the time in the world. Well, I uh, wanted to ask you something about the party last night. Yes, honey. You know, when the lights went out, I, uh, uh, I gotta go. I'll be late for work. Wait, wait. Just a minute. I, I want to find out something. When the lights went out, didn't something happen? Uh, yes. Everything went black. Goodbye. Harley, wait! Hey, Gillis, come here. Well, if it ain't Romeo... Just a kiss in the dark. Oh, cut it out, cut it out. You want Peg to hear you? I think she's suspicious. Boy, it's lucky for me Luella left this morning. Uh, Riley, she didn't leave. I would... What? Why not? Is she sick? No. Well, then why didn't she go? She planned this trip for months. She gave a farewell party. Why didn't she leave? Does a mouse leave when there's a piece of cheese in a trap? You mean... Natch! Here's a dame plans to go away, then one kiss in the dark. 
The blood races around in her pulse. She's... Oh, you lucky piece of cheese, you! No. No, Gillis Luella ain't in love with me, no. Well, maybe not in love, but she's enameled of you. And, and my kiss did that? I don't understand. Peg always says I kiss like a dying halibut. Peg thinks you kiss her like a fish, but Luella's got different bait. <laughs> oh, why did it have to happen to me? Maybe she missed the plane. Maybe she's going tomorrow. Huh? Not this baby. She ain't going no place without you. She'll never get me. I love my wife. You know, I've studied this here, Luella. And if there was a Northwest Mounted Police in the South, she'd be on the force because she always gets her man. <laughs> oh, what'll I do, Gillis? I gotta kill her love for me. Maybe plastic surgery. I'll change my face and then I'll be homely, huh? In cases like this, I recommend two things. Yeah? First, getting good with the missus. So in case she does find out, she'll go easy on you. How do I do that? Buy her a present. What? Well, uh, what does she want most? I don't know. Yes, I do. A beauty course. Madam Julius Charman course. It comes by mail. Well, right away for it and surprise it. Uh, Twenty bucks. There goes my new fishing rod. Forget fishing. You want to be Peg's halibut, don't you? Uh. Buy it the course and then you protect it. But you got to see to it you don't find out. How? You got to tell Luella to lay off. Tell her it's finished. It's all over. No more kisses. Tell her Peg is catching on, see? Yes, I'll tell her all right. No, I'll write her a letter. I'll say, Luella, I can't never be yours. It'll break your heart, but it's your own fault for playing with fire. And that's the first portion of The Life of Riley from 1951. Let's take a break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to The Life of Riley from 1951. Then we'll tune into The Whistler in another strange and terrifying tale with a twist ending from 1947. Lisa, Mike, and I will be back next time. Hope you'll be here, too.